The following Taisho by Shinge Roshi, Roko Sheri Shayat, was recorded at the Zen Center of Syracuse Hoenji in Syracuse, New York. These recordings are offered for free. We welcome your financial support. To contribute and for further information, please visit www.zencenterofsyracuse.org. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Such a beautiful day. We had a wonderful Samu day yesterday, work outside, and I know many of you participated and planting trees and pulling garlic mustard and doing all kinds of things to offer our gratitude to the earth for supporting us and caring for all beings, great and small, who contribute to our practice just by virtue of being. Today we have Dharma kids, so the children and their parents and relatives are enjoying the beautiful sunshine and exploring with our members who are naturalists. Our neighbors have been caring for their grounds, listening to electric weed trimmers and lawnmowers, we may think, no, once that noise stops, then I can meditate. Not at all. The sound of voices, the sound of machines, the sound of birds, the sound of the breeze, all is this lotus land of purity. It's we who make distinctions with our preferential minds that create, we create the difficulty for ourselves. Waiting for the right moment when circumstances are just perfect, what's that? feeling antagonism towards someone who has been in some way thorn in one side and thinking, well, once I can get rid of this relationship, then I'll be fine. What's that? The Tibetans have that wonderful saying, your enemy is your greatest teacher running around looking for a teacher when already you have your greatest teacher. Anyone you know who is annoying you these days? Maybe by now, no one. They've given up on you. So truly, when you feel some disgruntlement, 
Put your palms together. Bow. And say thank you. Young people may feel they need to do this to their parents. Old people may feel they need to do this to their children. Lots of opportunities among people we work with, old lovers, someone that we just met who seems to be in the way. This is teacher. If we can make this kind of shift, then truly we can understand what Uman Zenji said. Every day is a good day. Every person is Buddha. So a couple of weeks ago, on May 5th, the very day that Yogin Senzaki session started at Daibosatsu Zendo that evening, in the morning, early, three of us, plus Zenrin, who was driving up from the south, met at Sechen Kunchab Ling Temple in Walden, New York for the Hudson Valley 2012 first annual Vesak celebration of the Buddha's life. This was a consortium hosted by the consortium of temples hosting this day were in addition to the Tibetan temple that I just told you about, which in English is called Temple of All-Encompassing Great Compassion. We had Dharma Seal Monastery, which is a Chinese temple in the same town of Walden, New York. The Korean Buddhist Wankaksa in Salisbury Mills, New York. And Blue Cliff Monastery in Pine Bush, New York. Blue Cliff Monastery is one of Thich Nhat Hanh's places. So... We were all gathered there. I had received a letter inviting me to come with some Sangha members for this joint celebration. Now, as you know, in Japanese Buddhism, we celebrate Buddha's birth on April 8th. We celebrate Buddha's enlightenment on December 8th. And we celebrate Buddha's passing, Parinirvana, on February 15th. But many, many Buddhist schools throughout the world, Buddhist groups and lineages throughout the world, celebrate them all together at the first full moon of May, which is called Vesak. So this was the ceremony to which we were being invited. And I met really wonderful people there, the teacher of the Tibetan temple and his chief disciple asked if we would participate from now on. And the idea is that each temple, including Dabusatsu, would be the host at a different year, each year. 
So this is what they mean by the first annual joint celebration from the various traditions of Buddhism. And they said in this letter, we have worked together to plan the event to honor the holy life of Lord Buddha Shakyamuni to help spread the Dharma in this new land and to encourage harmony among the Sangha. Most of the people who attended were what we call ethnic Buddhists. Almost the entire population was either Vietnamese or Korean or Chinese or Indian. There were a few Americans among the Tibetan temple membership, but most were from Asia. And it was very moving to me to hear the chanting done in each of those languages. The way the day started was those of us who were ordained were asked to circumambulate this new temple that had just been built. And it was a huge building, 9,000 square feet, and wasn't finished yet, but beautiful tankas on the walls and incredible numbers of prayer flags that were strung from a huge gnarled tree in the back area behind the building, probably 10 million prayer flags. I mean, I didn't count them, but that was kind of what I would assume. And those of you who are interested, I have a photograph on my iPhone. You can see. Just incredible, coming from this ancient tree and coming all the way from that tree to various corners of the universe. And the building itself, although it wasn't finished, had been painted by a Tibetan, kind of an itinerant Tibetan artist. So incredible detail, all the various colors on this enormous building. It's really extraordinary. Looked itself like a mandala. So we circumambulated, holding flowers and special Tibetan curved, maybe you've seen them, kind of silver pitchers to pour water. And afterwards, we walked into the temple, and everybody presented the flowers, and the lay sangha circled inside and sat. And the way we began was each group did tisarana together. We all followed along, and it was spelled out in the booklets that we received. So first, in Chinese, we were able to follow then their translation. Actually, it was the first one was in Tibetan. And I'll just share with you the different translations because I think, you know, ours is very simple. We say, Buddham, Saranam, Gachami. What's our translation? I go to Buddha for refuge, or I take refuge in Buddha. Very simple, right? Dhamman, Saranam, Gachami. I take refuge in Dharma. Sangham, Saranam, Gachami. I take refuge in Sangha. If we did it literally, it would be 
Buddham to the Buddha, Saranam, for refuge, Gachami, I go. Okay, so to the Dharma for refuge, I go. To the Sangha for refuge, I go. So in Tibetan, I won't even try to read the Tibetan for you, but in English, to the excellent Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, I go for refuge until enlightenment is won. By the merit of giving and the other perfections, may I attain Buddhahood for the sake of all beings. Each one has its flavor. The next is Chinese. I take refuge in Buddha, and I wish that all sentient beings will awaken to the great path and make the ultimate resolution. I take refuge in Dharma, and I wish that all sentient beings will delve into the sutra their wisdom deep as the ocean. I take refuge in Sangha, and I wish that all sentient beings will be brought together in great harmony without any obstructions at all. Then in Korean, I take refuge in the excellent Buddha who accomplishes wisdom and compassion. I take refuge in the pure teachings that are far from worldly desires. I take refuge in the harmonious Sangha that is the most peaceful among groups. And then the Thich Nhat Hanh Vietnamese is the longest, both in the original Vietnamese and in the English. It goes like this. I take refuge in the Buddha the one who shows me the way in this life. I take refuge in the Dharma, the way of understanding and of love. I take refuge in the Sangha, the community that lives in harmony and awareness. Dwelling in the refuge of the Buddha, I clearly see the path of light, the path of beauty in the world. Dwelling in the refuge of the Dharma, I learn to open many doors on the path of transformation. Dwelling in the refuge of the Sangha, shining light that supports me, keeping my path free of obstructions. Taking refuge in the Buddha in myself, I aspire to help all people recognize their own awakened nature, realizing the mind of love. Taking refuge in the Dharma in myself, I aspire to help all people fully master the ways of practice and walk together on the path of liberation. Taking refuge in the Sangha in myself, I aspire to help all people build fourfold communities to embrace all beings and support their transformation. And then we chanted the Heart Sutra, all of us together in English. And we had a food offering chant. We had to eat well before noon for the monastics, since some of the schools, some of the orders never eat afternoon. And the lay people ate after we did. So they served the monastics first after the food offering chant was given. And then there was a Dharma talk 
given by Bhikkhu Bodhi. Some of you know his work translating from the Pali texts into English. How many of you have read Bhikkhu Bodhi's translations? He's really great. I had met him last year at the Buddhist Teachers Council and we had a really wonderful talk informally and his talk at this wonderful event was really deep and filled with reminders of how our present era is really quite shaky. He compared it to the time of the Buddha about 2,600 years ago saying that India was also at a kind of tipping point and that the Buddha's teachings were really revolutionary and set a new path for followers of truth. And that nowadays, this is such an extraordinary time as we are on the brink of ecological disaster, that more and more we are seeing Buddhist groups from all over the world here in this country, the first time in history that we've ever had all Buddhist groups together on one continent. By all Buddhist groups, I mean Pure Land Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism, Vipassana or forest monk tradition, Zen, both Soto and Rinzai, and many others here practicing together, often in a way that is somewhat isolated from each other and often in a way that creates disharmony. Not at all what the Buddha taught. What do I mean by disharmony? I mean the kind of thing where one Zen group says, I follow the best path. Only Soto Zen is worth anything, or only Rinzai Zen is the way to practice. Or someone might think, oh, pure land, that's for ethnic Buddhists, and they just worship, and it's just like you know going to church on Sundays, and they don't meditate, therefore, blah, blah, blah. There are people who speak this way or think this way. And so for us to be together at this time on this continent and to appreciate what that means, the significance of learning from each other, not watering down one tradition or another, but learning from each other and being grateful to each other for the way of aspiration, for the way of dedication that each of us follows. This is really important and can serve to turn things around before it's too late. The impact of 
practicing with dedication, with devotion, can really have an impact. Really, this impact can really be amazing. Can change things around, turn things around before it's too late. By too late, what do I mean? Already we see what's happening with global warming, in spite of what some politicians may say. We're experiencing it. I don't have to go into the various predictions of gloom and doom for you. You all know them. Each one of us has an obligation to care for this planet. It's part of our practice. So to understand Buddham Saranam Gachami, Dhamman Saranam Gachami, Sangam Saranam Gachami, what is this refuge to which we are all devoting ourselves? It's certainly not simply that we sit in meditation, as Bhikkhu Bodhi said, in order to tune out problems, but rather to see how we can be responsible, be receptive to the suffering of others. Not tune out, but tune in. How can we respond? This is a really important point. And so he spoke to that at some length. And the other day, Friday, we were watching the movie Zen, on the life of Dogen. Dogen Zenji was not only one of the most brilliant thinkers and writers of all time, but he also cared so much for every aspect of our lives, not making any divide whatsoever between spiritual I use the word attainment advisedly, and ordinary life. For Dogen, it was to understand that spiritual accomplishment in the way depends entirely on every aspect of daily life, everything we do. Kaz Tanahashi was interviewed in the little film that went along with the film, little feature. And he recently translated the two volumes of the complete Shobo Genzo, The Treasury of the True Dharma Eye, with others who were contributors, and presented us with these two volumes for our library, which I'm going to suggest that we don't circulate, but that people stay here and read a passage or two every time you come so that they stay at the Zen Center and are available for everybody. But I just wanted to uh, share with you some of what he said. In the film, they picked up on some of his more famous sayings and, you know, it was filmmaking, so they kind of put them in somewhat different contexts, like they showed him as a young monk just going to the temple in China and hearing the words of the abbot there 
drop away body and mind. Let body and mind fall away. That actually was the cause of his great enlightenment, but in the film it's not shown quite that way. It's like he's a new monk and he hears this, and then later on he has an enlightenment experience, which is shown in the film by levitating and kind of, you know, lotus blossoms. And Anyway, filmmaking is being what it is. So here's something, and also what I thought was interesting in the film was that one of his great sayings when he came back to Japan was ask the question, so what did you learn in China? What have you brought back to us here? In uh, the film, it was made to be a very truculent situation where he was threatened and kind of people didn't feel that he had the right to go to China and come back with a new teaching. So it was a little different. But anyway, what he said was, I have returned empty-handed. What is it to awaken? I have returned empty-handed. I bring back nothing. All I know is eyes are horizontal. Nose is vertical. Eyes are horizontal. Nose is vertical. Again, bringing it right here. Nothing magical. No special effects, which there were plenty of in the film. So here's what Dogen says. Those who have way-seeking mind, that's all of us here, right? And wish to abandon fame and gain, including fame and gain regarding spiritual attainment, right? Should enter. You've all entered. Those who are half-hearted and lack sincerity should not enter. This is a really important statement. Very often people think, oh, we should have a larger sangha. We should grow. We should outgrow this facility and build a new one or some such thing. You hear that. No. Those who are half-hearted and lack sincerity should not enter. If the entry is a mistake, after some consideration, one may be asked to leave. Know that when the way-seeking mind is aroused within, there is immediate freedom from fame and gain. In the vastness of the billion worlds, true heirs of dharma are rare. The assembly of students in the hall should blend like milk and water to support the activity of the way. I think that was in the film too. Although now for some period you are either host or guest, later you will be Buddha ancestors equally throughout time. Therefore, you should not forget the feeling of gratitude. It is rare to meet one another and practice what is rare to practice. This is called the body and mind of Buddha Dharma. So then a lot of what he writes is about how to take care of the minutiae of daily life. 
And he quotes various Indian sutras, one on the 3,000 guidelines for pure conduct, which says, to cleanse your body means to wash away the excrement and urine and to cut your ten fingernails. And also in the Avatamsaka Sutra, he quotes, that's the Flower Garland Sutra, in the Pure Conduct chapter. When you defecate and urinate, vow to remove defilement and become free from sexual desire, anger, and ignorance together with all sentient beings. And then Dogen says, Water is not necessarily pure or impure by origin. The body is not necessarily pure or impure by origin. All things are like this. We tend to think water is pure until we contaminate it, right? Mistake. Then he, Dogen, goes into each of these aspects of the sutra that we just heard and tells about how to cut your nails and various other things, how to clean if you are out under a tree practicing or under an open field and there's no toilet, how to cleanse yourself with dirt and water from a nearby river or valley brook. So use two rows of seven pellets of dirt Keep this in mind. (laughs) He gives much more explanation, which you can read if you would like. How to carry your hand towel when you are at the monastery and going to the East Building. How to put your robe on the hanger. If you have not yet used your hands for cleansing and if you are not holding anything in your hands, hold them in shashu like this for greeting when others come. If you have already used a hand or are holding something in one hand, use the other hand for greeting. He goes on about that too. Then he says, when you want to go to the wash house, go early enough. Do not hurry and create accidents. This is such an important rule, isn't it? When you fall, when you have an accident, it's because you're hurrying. It's very hard to be as mindful as we need to be. So easily we get into trouble by simply not paying attention, rushing. Then he tells the monks when they're in the latrine, how to sit, not to spit, and not to groan, and not to write on the wall. (laughs) He says, the procedure for using the toilet is to cleanse the Buddha land, to beautify the Buddha land. So we may think, oh, the Buddha land, it must be, you know, somewhere out there, right? the the great cosmos. No, it's right inside yourself. So, he says, do not act hastily. Do not think of getting it over with and going back quickly. Well, I think that you have a pretty good idea of some of the concerns of 
just every day matters that we take for granted as being simply pragmatic concerns, that Dogen does not see any such pragmatic concern as being unworthy of our Buddha mind. It's an interesting paragraph here in the section, Receiving the Marrow by Bowing. In the practice of unsurpassable, complete enlightenment, what is most difficult is to find a guiding teacher. The guiding teacher should be a strong person, regardless of being a male or female. The teacher should be a person of thusness. After you encounter your guiding teacher, practice diligently in the endeavor of the way, casting off myriad conditions without sparing a moment. Practice with heart. Practice with beyond heart. Practice even with half a heart. If you practice in this way, you will not be destroyed by jealous demons. The ancestor, Ekka, who cut off his arm and attained Bodhidharma's marrow, becomes not other than you. The master who drops away body and mind is you yourself. Although the aspiration for making dharma weighty is not limited to a single path and does not depend on instructions from others, let me make one or two points. Regarding dharma as weighty means this. If you encounter someone who maintains the great dharma, having received the acknowledgement, you have attained my marrow, whether the person is a pillar or a lantern, a Buddha, wild fox, demon, man, or woman, you should keep your body and mind on the zazen seat and attend to the person even for immeasurable eons. It is common to attain body and mind, which are just like widely spread rice plants, flax, bamboo, or reed. But it is rare to encounter dharma. Thus, look to trees and rocks, fields and villages to expound dharma. Ask pillars about dharma and investigate with walls. So I think that gives you some further flavor of Dogen's incredibly profound teachings. Yes? And those of you who weren't able to see the film, you own it. And we can show it again at some point. I know that for many of us, hearing such words can be inspiring. But then we may feel, but I have to contend with my own difficulties. Maybe some sense of, I'm not there yet. What about just getting through a sitting without incredible discomfort? What about keeping my mind clear and focused? Does anyone have a question along those lines? 
Like, it's all very well to hear Dogen say what he says, but, and you may dot, 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 but, dot, 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 right? What are some of the things that you find are typical afflictions during Zazen? Yes? And then um, thinking, well, what is it? Not here. And then thinking, what do I do to make it come? And then it doesn't come. So there's a lot of maneuvering. Mm, That's a very good way of expressing it. I need something. Where is it? Why doesn't it come? What's missing? And it's all well and good to hear you are it. You know, it's all just fine for the sutras to tell you from the very beginning you are Buddha. Just awaken to your natural Buddha nature. It's yours. But you're sitting there waiting for it, looking for it, wondering about it, and why isn't it here, and what's going on anyway? Can you use your mind to access this Buddha nature? By mind, I mean your mental activity. Okay, I'm not talking about this mind, but mental activity to access it. Most people are shaking their heads. So what do we do? How about somebody else? What would be a typical affliction you're aware of during your meditation? Sleepiness. Okay, good one. Sleepiness. Another? So we have one candidate thinking it should be something that should be here and isn't. Where is it? Another one. Sleepiness. Third? Planning. Planning. So using the mind, using the mental activity for something more, you might in a way, this is kind of funny, but more important than meditation. And we have this subtle bias, you know, like, oh, we're sitting around doing nothing. Well, while I'm sitting and doing nothing, I might as well, you know, figure out what I'm going to make for dinner tomorrow night or how I'm going to pack my whatever for my next trip. Okay, so this is very good, all three of these, very important, and maybe it covers for everybody some of the afflictive tendencies during our zazen. What do you mean to suffering? Well, all of these are slippery slope, right? Slipping into suffering, of course. The moment we are elsewhere. So how do we refrain from being elsewhere? How do we refrain from looking for it? How do we refrain from dozing off into some kind of, you know, dream state where we're anywhere but here. How do we refrain from getting entangled by all the thoughts that we have about what we should be doing, planning next week's schedule, etc.? We have a practice. We should just stick with your practice. Well, that's a good idea. 
We have a practice. Let's stick with our practice. Okay. Okay. But what Daigon is saying is it's not something you think about sticking with. It's something you jump into. All right? This is a different... It's, it's completely different from our searching for our practice. We go directly back into it. So many of you at least at some point or another, have done mu practice, right? Mu, Joshu's mu. Mu means what? Hmm? Hmm? Nothing. Nothing or no or negative or uh-uh. <laughs> or everything. To everything, right? Uh-uh. No, whatever it is right now, you're thinking, no. No? No, just like with the dog. No, 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 no. Now this no is not the opposite of yes. And we do move with our entire breath, body, mind. It isn't something we think. We're not doing mu as, oh yeah, Joshu said mu to the guy who asked if there was Buddha nature in a dog. Oh, I don't know why. He said, no, all beings have Buddha nature. That doesn't make sense. What am I going to eat tomorrow night? <laughs> I think I'll take a nap. Why hasn't Joshu come to tell me what he meant? So, what do you do? On the out-breath, just all the way to the end, all the way. Find the end point of that exhalation in your hara, in your hara, all the way to the end. And don't inhale. This is something Shinkon said that I love. Don't inhale until you are awake. Continue just being that exhalation till the very last drop. Don't inhale until you've let go of the idea that you should find something. Don't inhale until you've completely let go of your planning. Whatever it is, don't inhale until you have completely let it go, given it up. That last drop of exhalation. Gives you a completely free inhalation. Try it. We only have a couple of minutes, so I'll let you investigate this right now. Make sure your back is strong so that your lower abdomen can be the vehicle for this awakening to the next breath. On your exhalation, just silently blow to yourself till it completely exhausted in the pit of your hara. 
if a thought comes before you inhale, you don't get to breathe. Let it go. Then feel how the inhalation comes completely free of anything else. And over the exhalation again. The new breath is like a drink of water on a dry, hot day. And you'll find that this kind of awareness will energize your zazen, will give you everything you need right here, right now. Nowhere else to search. All these sounds are nothing but this moment This glorious moment of Buddha Dharma expressing itself if we're not searching for something different. 